Welcome to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, a podcast for those who manage drivers and their vehicles and want to reduce road risk in their organisation. I'm Simon Turner and I'm the Campaign Manager for Driving for Better Business and in this episode we're going to discuss the thorny issue of driver distraction with Dr Gemma Briggs from The Open University. Gemma is an applied cognitive psychologist who's been researching driver inattention for over 15 years. She's lectured and written extensively on the attentional and perceptual issues caused by phone use when driving and has worked closely with several road safety charities to promote and share her research findings. Gemma and I are going to discuss why a driver on the phone will suffer from inattention blindness, what does the science say about our ability to multitask and take a call whilst driving, We look at the shared responsibility between employers and drivers and their social responsibility to other road users and we also discuss how management can very often undermine the whole process. And finally, we look at some of the free resources that are available to help employers and drivers understand and combat distracted driving. Hi Gemma, Um, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So Gemma, I was wondering perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit more about the type of research that you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm a cognitive psychologist and predominantly I'm really interested in how people pay attention and how they perceive um, dynamic and changing scenes. So the biggest application of that kind of theoretical basis for me is looking at mobile phone use by drivers. So I'm really interested in what happens within a driver's brain uh, while they engage in a secondary task, such as having a conversation on the phone. So I'm interested in what they do with their attention. Do they try to divide their attention? Um, And our research has looked into whether that's actually possible or not, or whether more likely perhaps they shift their attention between those two tasks and what that means for their performance in both tasks so how does their driving performance deteriorate how does their performance in the phone conversation um, cope how well do they cope with that situation Um, and what do they get out of it and what we've been able to show which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail later anyway is that it's a really big problem in terms of driving performance, when we try to divide our attention or shift our attention in this way, um, we can come unstuck. Yeah, so I, I mean, I doubt there's anyone listening to this who who doesn't know that using a handheld phone while driving is illegal, uh, but using a hands-free phone uh, is legal. And the implication of that for many is that hands-free is, is safe or it wouldn't be legal. So, I mean, I mean, is it safer? What, what does your research show? Sure, yeah. So, Um, In research terms, it's certainly not just my research or my collaborative research that's looked into this, but what we do know is that hands-free phone use offers no safety benefit over handheld phone use. So regardless of whether you're physically holding your phone or not, you're four times more likely to be involved in an incident, some kind of crash. Um, Your hazard perception ability vastly decreases. Um, Your eye movements will change, so you'll look around the scene less, and that can have implications for what you see and you don't see. And those hazards that you do notice, you'll take significantly longer to react to. So our research that I've done collaboratively with, largely with Graham Hole from the University of Sussex, um, has looked into some of the specifics of that. So uh, we wanted to identify, okay, we, we know this is a problem, but why is it a problem? 
And it seems that it's cognitive distraction that's the issue. It's not really whether you've got both hands on the steering wheel and both eyes looking at the road ahead, because what we've been able to identify is you can be in that situation, hands, you know, appropriately at 10 to 2 on the wheel and eyes looking at the road ahead. But if your mind is elsewhere, if your mind is on a phone conversation, then you can miss things that happen right in front of your eyes. So one particular experiment that we carried out um, put drivers in a driving simulator and we tracked their eye movements. And we had this theory that, well, perhaps the mobile phone conversation is drawing on cognitive resources that are actually needed for the driving task. And that's why there's a problem in terms of noticing and reacting to hazards. So um, we asked some of our participants to complete a secondary task, a phone task, hands-free, which induced imagery. So we asked them things like, um, true or false, in a rowing boat, a rower sits with his back to the front of the boat. Um, the uh, cows have hanging ears, all of these kind of things that in order to answer, you probably have to conjure up an image um, in your head. Um, and we had another group of participants who weren't distracted and yet another group of participants who were distracted by non-imagery inducing statements, uh, things that you either know or you don't know and they needed to verify. So, um, you know, the, the capital of Spain is Madrid. Um, things that you probably don't need to picture. And what we found was that it seems that when people have a mobile phone conversation, they tend to picture um, their conversation partner, where they are, what they're discussing, what they're talking about. And you spontaneously create these mental images. And the same brain areas that are needed for visual perception are also needed to create these mental images. And that can explain why a driver can look directly at something and we know they've looked directly at it because we've tracked their eye movements, yet they failed to react to it. And when you ask them later, they say they didn't see it. So in that particular experiment, those participants who were distracted by imagery inducing statements noticed far fewer hazards than any other participants. Those who were distracted by non-imagery were also worse than those who drove undistracted. Um, but those distracted by imagery showed the worst performance overall. So they either didn't spot hazards or if they did, they took up to a second longer to react to them. Even if that hazard occurred right in front of them where we could demonstrate that their eye was directly pointed and trying to take in that information. So it demonstrates a phenomenon known as inattention blindness, looking without seeing. Um, so from that research and, and we've built on that and many others have done uh, relevant work in that area, we can say that Drivers on the phone, whether handheld or hands-free, can suffer from inattention blindness. They can look directly at things, yet not see them. Because they don't see them, they don't react to them. So, so does that mean the brain can't, is that because the brain can't sort of physically hold two images at once? It, it can't process the visual information from what's going on in front of the driver at the same time as creating this mental image. It's, it's kind of one or the other. Kind of. I think it's probably fair to say that the brain can attempt to process both things at once. But I think the issue is that we tend to try and think of our brain um, as being similar to a computer in the sense that we can have multiple streams of information being processed at the same time and that we can kind of divide that beam of attention. But actually what we know is we tend to switch between tasks rather than divide our attention. So, you know, 
and, and that shift can be very quick, so much so that we don't necessarily notice it ourselves. But there will be points in time when our brain isn't actively processing the driving scene ahead of us, the information that we're taking in because it's busy processing something else, our mental image or whatever, whatever that might be. So it's kind of it's competition for cognitive resources for these two tasks. So both tasks are drawing on these the same pool of resources, if you like. Um, and like in any competition, one task tends to win. And, and so if it's the phone conversation task that wins and takes those visual resources away from the driving task, then the driver's eyes can well be on the road, but they're not processing that information all the time. So, so that um, sounds like we're, we're talking about effectively multitasking there, isn't it? So exactly. many, people, many people believe they can multitask. I can drive and I can use the phone at the same time. Is that, is that not true? It's not that it's not true. It's that I think our understanding of what multitasking is, is distinct and different from, from what we know about how the brain works. So what we know about multitasking is, yes, sometimes we can maintain a couple of tasks at the same time, but what we're doing is we're shifting between those tasks. We're not keeping them going at a constant level um, simultaneously, we're shifting. What we also know is that when we multitask, Generally speaking, both tasks will be performed worse than if we tried to do them individually. So it's far better, cognitively speaking, to focus on one task and then, and then do another rather than trying to do them simultaneously. Of course, that's not practical um, all, all the time in everyday life. So we talk about multitasking and we talk about the importance of multitasking, um, but our understanding of, of what that means is quite different from what our brain can actually achieve. So if, if drivers who haven't had an accident while they're on the phone, and um, there are obviously many of those, and they kind of believe they're a bit invincible, don't they? They think, this, yeah. I've not had an accident so far. Um, it sounds like they're not recognising the fact that they've missed so much of what's been going on while they've been on the phone. They haven't, they don't perceive there's a risk because they haven't been aware of the risk while it was happening. Absolutely. So, I mean, that taps into a really key thing of this whole piece of research, which is that around 80% of drivers consider themselves to be better than average at driving, um, which statistically is possible, but is also highly unlikely. Someone needs to be average. Someone needs to be below average. So, you know, if you're driving along and you, you haven't had a crash, you haven't been involved in any kind of incident, you tend to be, if you're distracted, you tend to be unaware of how unaware you are. So what will happen is other road users, whether that be other drivers, pedestrians, whatever, will be compensating for your lack of awareness. So in the absence of any kind of catastrophic crash, which you obviously become aware of, a distracted driver, generally speaking, will be unaware of how many, you know, near misses they've had, um, how many times they've driven too close to the vehicle in front, if they veered out of their lane. Um, so it's kind of like uh, a confirmation bias for these drivers. The majority think they're better than average. They've never had a crash. They've never had an incident whilst using their hands-free phone. Therefore, they're fine. And what's interesting is that same group of drivers, the majority, will comment that you know they fully support laws banning mobile phone use banning handheld mobile phone use and many will even go so far as to say 
any type of mobile phone use is really a danger. I can understand that. Um, and other people shouldn't do it, but not me because I'm better than average and I've never been involved in any kind of incident. So it's, it's a real tension because you can present data such as ours, you know, empirical data that looks at reaction times and eye movements and all of those kind of, if you like, geeky areas of research that can explain specifically why it's a problem cognitively. But, you know, we're all human. So when we communicate that to people, it's quite common in fact, it's extremely common that there's a defense of that. You know, this is really inconvenient research. People don't want to be told that they can't multitask because that's what we're told we should constantly be doing. Um, and they don't want to be told that hands-free mobile phone use is, is any different from talking to a passenger in the vehicle because, you know, this, this stuff is all pre-installed in their vehicles and they're expected to use it by, you know, family, friends, employers or whatever. So there's a real tension between what we understand about how our brain works and how we can communicate these messages in a convincing way so that people can't just say no sorry it's no different yeah you, may, you mentioned passengers there and one of the most frequent ex excuses or um challenges to this is well how is phone distraction different to talking to a passenger in the car how, how is it different yeah i mean it taps into what we said about imagery and some of our research there um but also it's an issue of shared environment. So a passenger within your vehicle can obviously see what you can see. Um, they can see the challenges that you're facing and they can regulate their conversation accordingly. By that, I mean, hopefully they will stop talking if they can see that you're facing a particularly challenging driving situation, or they might even help, you know, pointing out a vehicle that you haven't perhaps spotted. Whereas someone on the phone doesn't have the benefit of that shared environment. So of course, they're gonna to continue to demand your precious attention. In fact, if you stop talking, which is a common thing, you know, your brain will kind of say, I need to process this information. I'm gonna stop responding to another task. If you stop talking momentarily on a mobile phone um, conversation, your conversation partner is likely to say, are you still there? And demand your attention back to them. So. This, this issue of shared environment is a, is a big difference in terms of the distraction imposed by a passenger compared to a mobile phone conversation. Yeah. Um, well, I want to delve in a little bit now um, into what employers can do about this. Um, mm. One of the major driving, you know, this is one of the major driving at work risks for employers. And I don't think there are many employers that don't see it as a risk. They just don't necessarily know how to manage it effectively. And I had Mark Cartwright on the show recently from Highways England talking about Operation Tramline, which is where the police roam the motorways in unmarked lorry cabs, taking film of poor driving behaviour. Um, and one of the most common offences that they see, whether it's truck drivers, van drivers or car drivers, because it captures um, offences in all of those different vehicle types, is phone distraction, including and, and a lot of handheld phone use. So yeah. employers clearly need to set down rules. Um, and that means putting guidance on mobile phone use in their driving for work policy. What, what do you think that guidance needs to include? Yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a really tricky one. Um, because obviously, if, if you're driving for 
for work for a living, then your employer has a responsibility to keep you safe. But of course, it's kind of a shared responsibility as well. So that the first thing I always say to people making policy for workplace driving safety is that you need to be aware of that shared responsibility. Um, your employer um, needs to be very clear that what, what their position on phone use is. And of course, handheld phone use is illegal. So that position should be clear, but it can still be even more clearly communicated. If you are found to be texting at traffic lights or checking your next drop or doing any kind of handheld activity on a phone, you will lose your job. Mm. <laughs> um, but from, from the flip side, of course, from the employee side, you know, it's your driver's license, it's your job. Um, so there's that shared responsibility. Um, but in terms of what the policy needs to set out, whether there's a ban on any type of phone use, which many companies are now taking on board, or, or if it's just a ban on illegal phone use, you would hope that the law, uh, the existence of the law would, would cover that. But as I've said, it doesn't. And as you've said, it demonstrably doesn't. Um, so I think there's a lot to be done in terms of policy relating to education. So explaining why it's an issue, not just that it is or that you'll get sacked if you're caught using it. So, you know, there's a level of accountability, but that needs to be um, explained and made clear to drivers. So evidence based education such as ours can help with that. Um, but, you know, in other in other clear policy terms, we need an agreement between managers and drivers about what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. So if you have an all out ban on any type of phone use by your drivers, then you as a manager should not have an expectation that your driver will answer a phone call at any time that you call them. You have to have a clear policy that says at this time in your working day, you need to be parked up and available. Um, there's, there's big challenges there when we talk about delivery drivers, for example, we have multiple drops and, you know, they need to get updated routes and information like that. So I'm not naive to the fact that it's actually a massive challenge if we try to ban any type of phone use in this area, but individual companies um, must have a really specific, clear policy on what is and isn't acceptable that is followed by all members of that organization, which sounds really obvious, but we know from the Driving for Better Business survey that came out a couple of years ago, that there is a real disconnect um, in, in some companies between what management ex expect and what employees expect and how that ties in with, with company policy. Yeah, and I mean, I've spoken to a number of fleet operators now who have introduced zero tolerance phone policies and the, the most common um, argument for not doing it is that all oh, our staff need to be contactable you know we need to be able to update them this that and the other but most of the companies I know that have instigated a zero tolerance phone policy have been able to make it work they 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 have times where the the drivers can stop and get updates the drivers understand what when is a safe time to answer the phone and, and when to update and it actually doesn't impact their productivity if it's if it's managed correctly does it so um but i think the key thing you 
in this that you mentioned there and and the survey that we did showed that 49% of senior executives expected their drivers to answer the phone while driving so and, and many of those had policies which um, you know, showed that told their drivers that they weren't allowed to answer the phones. So, it's it's so important that everybody in the company leads by example, isn't it? Because if you've got the executives disobeying the policy and phoning the drivers up regardless, then the drivers have no respect for the policy either, do they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a company policy has to apply to every employee, every employee, and if there's even a whiff of the fact that senior executives are allowed loopholes then you won't get compliance from other employees because you know it's a demonstration that the policy isn't effective and won't be enforced so that comes back to another thing that we know from psychological research is that you know you, you need a clear policy of course but if that policy is broken by any employee you need um, an appropriate approach to dealing with that so because otherwise the policy doesn't work as a as a deterrent to you know doing what you shouldn't be doing so as long as there's a clear policy um, and it's backed up by deterrence in the sense that you know if if you're caught doing this there will be a consequence regardless of who you are regardless of whether you're the ceo or one of the delivery drivers there will be um there will be consequences but in order for that to happen there needs to be a credible threat of being caught um you know if drivers know that there's no way of it being detected that they're sending a quick text or they're answering a phone call from their manager and their manager said it's okay i won't tell anyone um then it's not going to work either so it's a real challenge so you need that that kind of threat which sounds strong but you need a threat in order for deterrence to work and that needs to be backed up by education so as you're saying those companies where they have got an all-out ban and it is working and drivers understand that it's you know why it's in place and understand when they can stop and when they can take calls it's i would assume that that's because they've got a very clear policy and they've explained why and people want to know why, yeah. <laughs> why well, they and, can do that. And the resources for drivers, educating drivers is a really good point. We've just produced um, a, a, something called a van driver toolkit, which is a series of safety updates for drivers, which employ, are free to access for employers. And one of those safety updates is around mobile phone distraction. And it shows, it shows, you know, the consequences of doing it, it shows there's some helpful tips on how to not do it, it explains in very simple terms in a very short piece of um, collateral, it explains what the drivers need to know so they can make their own decisions, uh, informed decisions around that and, and employers are free to download those and share those with their drivers so I'll share the link to that in, um, in the show notes at the end. Uh, so we, we talked about the survey driving for better business had done earlier and something else that came out of that survey was that I was quite staggered by this statistic but one in six so 17% of those who drove for work and we surveyed a th over a thousand drivers it was a professionally conducted survey one in six of them said they'd been involved in an incident while on the phone to their boss or a colleague so you know we've got the proof that this is quite clearly um a problem for, for businesses. Um, now, many of those wouldn't have been injury collisions, but it just shows how 
reducing phone use can reduce the chance of, of even damage only incidents, which then you know disrupt the business and result in expensive damage repairs. So, I mean, that's another thing for, for another reason for businesses to look seriously at curtailing phone use while driving, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, in terms of costs, of course, um, as you say, not not all um, incidents will involve, you know, contact collisions um, and, and or, or they might. But and you've got damage, of course. But yeah, so uh, there's also the level of social responsibility for companies. So, of course, the company wants to save money. Of course, the company wants to keep their employees safe. But equally, they've got a social responsibility to keep other road users safe from their potentially distracted drivers mm. um so there's a reputational issue as well of course but you, you know all of us who use the roads have this social responsibility to interact appropriately on the roads network now again that might sound very naive um but that's how the system has to work ultimately and when it breaks down it can have quite catastrophic impacts of course so yeah it's it's certainly in the in the interest of individual companies as well as wider society to tackle this problem because we do know it is a growing problem not just amongst people who drive for work but um, amongst the general public self-reported phone use handheld and hands-free is on the up is increasing and so with a number of police recorded incidents that are attributed to distraction so it's a real problem yeah, no, it is. And we, we've seen that from our, our research as well. And uh, as I say, the, the Operation Tramline footage that we've seen um, from, from that as well. So it is. Um, Gemma, have you got any resources that we can share with listeners that might help them manage uh, phone distraction among their drivers? Yes, certainly. So um, because I'm based at the Open University, we've got an online learning platform that's entirely free called OpenLearn. And myself and my colleague, Dr. Jim Turner, have um, created a couple of interactive activities that are freely available that sit on OpenLearn. So these are kind of evidence-based um, activities. They're, they're gamified, if you like. So the idea is that it takes about 10 minutes to complete. Um, you go along and you experience distraction for yourself. So in the first one that we've got, it's called Are You a Focused Driver? You uh, watch a very quick series of clips, some of which may contain a hazard, and you're asked to look out for those hazards. Um, and at the same time, you receive a phone call from a very demanding friend who's giving you a shopping list of things that you need to remember. So the idea is that you're, you're engaging in a cognitively demanding task as well as driving, as well as looking for hazards. Um, you're then asked a couple of questions about that phone task and about what you remember, because we want to know how you perform in both tasks. And then you're asked about which hazards you notice and which you don't. Um, and people are given immediate feedback. So they, they, they get a score for their phone conversation answers and they get a score for their hazard perception. Um, it's been done by thousands of people. What we've found is that people tend to do well in one task or the other not both um, which is entirely backing up the research that we've done and many others have done too so it's a nice little hopefully fun and non-judgmental approach to education and once you've completed the task there's further links where you can find out more information there's a, a video of me talking about research in this area and again explaining why it's a problem and why 
um, you might have just completed this and not done too well. Um, the second one we launched at the end of last year, it's called the Mobile Office Challenge. And this one might be particularly relevant to um, people who drive for work, of course. The idea is that obviously a lot of people drive for work and so their phone, uh, their, their car in effect does become a mobile office. Um, and in this one, we were quite interested in looking at um, confidence, driver confidence that you've noticed all of the hazards and that you've performed well in that in that phone conversation. So in this interactive, without giving too much away, you are put in the position, you're told that you're a wedding planner driving between appointments and you receive a phone call from a couple whose wedding you're planning. Um, you need to keep track of what they're saying so that you can plan their wedding appropriately. And at the same time, you need to look out for hazards. And then you're asked some um, questions along the way. How confident are you that you've noticed all of these hazards? How confident are you that you can meet your client's needs? And again, unsurprisingly, we found that people tend to do well in one or other task. Um, in this one, there's a nice um, uh, distinction because you get to first uh, complete this hazard perception task with a phone conversation, and then you do it without a phone conversation. So you can compare your own performance between being distracted and not being distracted. And in terms of hazard perception and how well you do, unsurprisingly, those who are just, just doing the hazard perception task tend to perform much better. So, and then again, there's more, more information and more links and answering frequently asked questions and things at the end. So the idea is that these are freely available. They've been adopted by various police forces who've used them as roadside education tools, for example. Um, but yeah, the idea is that it's it's a way of explaining why it's a problem, not just that it is, and allowing people to experience their own distraction, which means they can't then say, yeah, but this doesn't mean me, um, because they have seen their results themselves. Those, are, those sound fantastic. I've seen some of those myself and we've got them on the Driving for Better Business website. So I'll make sure all of the links to those uh, resources, uh, the links to all those resources are in the show notes so listeners can access those and, and download them. Um, Gemma, phone distraction is obviously one of the key things that um, employers and fleet operators have got to manage. I really appreciate you sharing your insights with us. That's been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you everyone for listening. If you manage drivers and their vehicles and you face similar issues to those discussed in this podcast, there are links in the show notes to some useful resources on the Driving for Better Business website. And these are all free to access. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is released. And please also give us a five-star review as this helps us to get up the podcast rankings and makes it more visible to others who might also find it useful. You can follow us, that's Driving for Better Business, on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And most importantly, please help us to spread the word. All our resources are free for those who manage fleets and their employees who drive for work. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Fleet Risk and I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.